And now it is time for We Are Just Christians Live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. We are just Christians. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We really do appreciate it and hope that you can stay with us for the next hour. We'll be on until 10 o'clock Eastern time here on We Are Just Christians. And we this is a live call-in show, so we do invite your participation. Uh, I'll go ahead and get, I'll give you the numbers in just a moment. But first of all, just so you know, we're going to talk about we talk about anything that's on your mind. Uh, and we'll try to relate that to what the New Testament says, what the scriptures say about how to live and what we should do both as individuals and as churches with respect to what's right and wrong and God's will. Our presupposition, which we think we can back up, and we'll talk about that if you want to, is that the Bible is the word of God and ought to be obeyed. It was written and intended by God to be a guide for us today. And so we're trying to recreate the first century church here in the 21st century, bringing this idea to uh, Port St. Lucie, and we appreciate you being with us today. You can reach us here on WPSL at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. Uh, and I'll give those numbers again a little bit later. You can also reach us by text message. My name is Mike Schmidt, and my text number is 772 772- Two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero. My partner Gary, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Good. Mike. Well, we're glad we can be with you, and he, we're glad we can both be here. Gary's text number is seven seven two two six zero six two two zero seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. And so we'd be glad to take your text now during the show. We can try to answer those. Uh, and we would be glad to take them during the week if you got a question or comment. So that's how you reach us, 340-1590, or by the text numbers I gave, you can reach the show, and we'll be glad to have a conversation. Now, our rules are we're not, we're, we, we don't mind if you disagree or criticize at all. We, will, we can respond to that, but we're not, gonna get, we're not going to bait you or say outrageous things, so you'll call. We want to have a discussion with you if possible. And we'll give you the last word. So feel free to call. It can be about anything that's on your mind of a spiritual nature, whether it's something to do with what we often call politics or cultural matters or something that happened in a church or something that's happened in your life that you don't understand. Whatever it may be, we'll be glad to talk. Maybe you got a Bible. Maybe you've been reading your Bible or heard about the Bible. You got a question and want to know what. The Bible says about it, or if you understand it correctly, we'll be glad to talk with you about that and, and give you some uh, scriptures and resources to look up, and you can then make up your mind and think about that. And how the Bible really, you know, bears on today's things, those topics that come up. Yes, it does. And that's and, that's really the part of the show, Gary. That's yeah. really the important part of the show, I think. Because <clears throat> so, the people view the Bible, as, and it is something that's very old, but they view it as not, as it were, relevant to today. But it is very and, much and it so. Is. It is. Very much so in every circumstance. We believe it was it was written and intended to be that way. And so that's the kind of the premise of the show. Now, if uh, you'd like to reach us then, 340-1590 or 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. Of course, you can also reach us by email at seven at not seven seven two. You can reach us by email at just you, you, Christians. You, you should have quit while you were ahead. I know, I know, I should have. Um, seven. Uh, there I go again. Just Christians at att.net. Just Christians at att.net. That's what I get for trying to think of several things at once, and I can barely think of one thing at once. But anyway. Uh, Gary, you said you had something a minute ago. Yeah, we before before about, we get in, yeah, about? before we get into the phone calls, I, I I just had a thought the other day while while I was passing through some scriptures, and the thought was uh, kind of I just titled it "Finding Out How to Glorify God." Do you ever think about that, Mike? Should we find out how to glorify God? Yeah, what does glorify and God? what how God do does do glorify that? God? And one of the things that came up prompted this was I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, I love Jesus." And that's all that matters. And is that really all that matters? And if you love Jesus, I would refer you to John 14 and verse 15. 
He says, and Jesus is talking, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. And then if I look at, you know, what some of these people who love Jesus actually do or say, it's hard to understand how they're keeping his commandments. But in uh, our, <clears throat> the Bible says we should be in Jesus. You know, all spiritual blessings are in Christ, but we should be in Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? And first John two and three through six, he says, now by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk just as he walked. Walk as he walked. That's walk it. as he walked. Yes. That's John. That's First John 2, 3 through 6. Which means he needs to be doing the things that <coughs> Jesus says he ought to be doing. Right. And rather some, than what he wants to do. Right. And in Philippians, some of these things is mentioned. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are of by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So how do we praise God? We praise God by being full in knowledge and discernment. We approve the things that God approves. We are filled with fruits of the Spirit, and we can talk about who, what the fruits of the Spirit are, but that is to the glory and the praise of God when we right. do those things. Uh, John texted in, actions glorify God. To be in Christ is to mimic him, and I think that's exactly yes. correct. You know, when, when Jesus set to ask God to glorify him in when he was praying in the garden, glorify my name. What did God, God didn't just, you know, say something, oh, glorify your name. God actually did something. Yes. He raised him from the dead. And so there, there even God demonstrates that to glorify is to obey and to, then to or to uh, actively do something. And that's how you bring glory. And, and so the idea then of, uh, he brings up here, and by the way, we do have a phone call, so we'll get to that in just a second, okay. but, but uh, is to mimic Christ. Now, that's a big subject. People think mimicking Christ is walking around with a robe and long hair and putting your hands together and saying soft things to everybody. Uh, that's not mimicking Christ. Um, that's the common worldly understanding of yeah, it. But Christ actually quoted the Old Testament to people and demanded that they understand it and obey it. He called them to a life of obedience and of service in his life, among other things that he did. And so this image of the soft and pliable Christ is simply not accurate. It is, it is understanding God's will in the broad sense and then living according to that. And we find that in the scriptures. Yeah. That's how we end up knowing what God's will is and knowing how to glorify Christ. Well, I'm probably and how to mimic him. People who have never read the New Testament, they they want to talk about, you know, how you Christians aren't like Christ. They've never even read what Christ did or what he's what like. He was like, and they want to criticize <clears throat> Christians for not living it. Now, many Christians do not, of course, because what Christ said, Gary, you and I both know this from getting older, is much more difficult and challenging than than most people think to live according to the Gospels. It's a very challenging thing. More so all the time to me. Re requires a lot of judgment and experience with with what what he says, uh, and that that's doesn't go over well sometimes. No, it, it doesn't. So it is a broad subject. Let let me quote one more scripture because I think it says exactly what you were talking about, Mike. And I'd like for our listeners to turn to Philippians again, Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. You talk about him being an example. Are we mimic him? Verse 5 begins, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of the cross. Right. That's exactly what we're supposed right. to imitate. Now, if you want to read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you can see the fruits of the spirit where I'm, I wanted to limit myself to 10 minutes and I'm running out of time. But I want to mention Ephesians 5, 8, walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. How many people do that? How many people look to find out what is acceptable? No, they, li- they look inside their own heart, as we say, and yes. find out what they like or what they want to do. And that's what they decide must be Christ's will. And that's simply not what the Bible says. So that's the thought I want to leave with you today is you need to go to the Bible to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Right. So I'm, I'm going to leave right. it at that, Mike. I'm, I'm, I'm taking more time than I had, I had meant to. Uh, the lessons I want to do kind of in the future are short and to the point and maybe helpful to those who need to think about what we need to read about. Okay. Well, uh, appreciate that, Gary. And we ought to think about, for certainly ought to think about uh, the thing, the, those those passages that you've read there. All right, well, let's go to the phones. I think we have a phone call. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering about uh, the beginning of a uh, of a Lutheran service. They recite the act of contrition, and in uh, that's what kept me going back to this Lutheran church. Uh, but uh, in the Catholic uh, religion, uh, when you go into the confessional for the first time uh, after uh, that, after you're done in there, uh, you receive uh, I. We talked about this, uh, like dog tags, you put around your neck, and there's like an emblem on the on your chest and on your back, and that's called the uh, the sepulchral and the, the scalpula. And I, I tried looking up sepulchral in the Webster's Dictionary, but I, I have catalogs, and I, uh, I'm also far-sighted, so I couldn't read it, uh, but. I, I just I just want about the basic meaning of sepulchral, and I'm just wondering if I got those two two terms correct: uh, scapula and sepulchral. One is on your back, and, and one is on your chest. And and some people wear those for the rest of their life. And uh, so I, I guess I'm ask, asking uh, about the uh, the act of conclusion, uh, which is how a, a, a Lutheran service begins with that Paul. Uh, the actual conclusion, and, uh, and I, I was just wondering about that, the word sepulchral, and I, I'd like to listen off air, Mike, if that will be okay. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, Gary, Jerry, thank you very much. Well, uh, we, I am not familiar with the details of the Lutheran church service. Uh, maybe I should be, but I can probably give you some general thoughts on that. The the idea of contrition is just is the not simply, but it is basically the idea of being contrite, which is repentant and and not it's more than sorry. It's more than being sorry. It's understanding that you have sinned in this in a particular way and you're contrite about that in that you're willing to make change. That's what you're saying when you're saying you're contrite. Yeah, I'm you, wrong and I'm willing to try to change and do better. If you look up the English definition of contrite, it's basically desiring to make good or desiring to restore. Yes, it's more so than just saying I'm it's sorry. Good, it's yes. the idea I want to make it right. I want to do better. And um, so uh, that's the... Now, I have a... a, a paragraph here that says <clears throat> this is the Lutheran act of contrition. I have no idea, Mike, whether this is right or I having never been there. It says, oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having def- offended thee, and I detest all my sins because of thy just punishments, but most of all because they offend me, my God, who who are art all good and deserving of all my love, I firmly resolve with the help of thy grace to sin no more and to avoid the near occasion of sin. Amen. That's 
what this source that's says. what it says that contribute yeah that's this source i have well no well now there's there's nothing wrong with that prayer at, that i can see, see as yeah. such if it's said with sincerity the problems with some of these prayers and these services gary and it's not endemic necessarily or inherent in it is that when you just repeat it the, repeat the same prayer every service or every week Comes it, can, rote. it can become rote, or if you say, well, you got to go ahead and say this. When you Once you say this, everything's fine. It doesn't necessarily reflect what's true in the heart, and I think that's what people's problem with sometimes in a church service. They picture it as just going through certain motions that like, uh, and like a magician saying abracadabra, if you say certain words, like say the name of Jesus or say hallelujah, then everything is okay because you said a magic word. And if you say a magic prayer, then everything will be fine. And that's not how God works. God's a person. He's a hu- not a human, but he's a person. And he doesn't respect that kind of thing any more than you would if someone was saying something by rote to you to repent or to come to him for help. And so God doesn't respect that kind of rote behavior. And But but that doesn't mean that the words of the prayer are themselves wrong. Some, t- some of those prayers are, but that... That's an important thing, contrition. I don't think you can be a Christian in in the big picture. First of all, you have to repent to be a Christian. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, Peter says uh, in Acts 2.36. And Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 3.10. So there is just no getting around. Repentance is turning and understanding that you're wrong and turning away from that wrong by what you do and what you say. So that's contrition. It, uh, repentance repentance is the outward act con- or, or a change of the mind. Contrition is the, it, it partly is the emotion that leads you to that and then the actions that follow that emotion. So nothing wrong with that per se. Now he mentioned uh, the sepulchral and the scapula. I know the scapula is, the bone that's the what we call the shoulder blade. And so probably it's a Latin coming from the Lutheran Church and, Latin, and Roman Catholic Church are very similar. So they, they're based a lot on these Latin words where something you wear on the back and then the other one, something you wear on the front. But if he's saying sepulcher, then I think that that's the tomb. That's a grave. Uh, it, 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 from what Jerry was saying, and I'm unfamiliar. I have to say I'm unfamiliar with these. If somebody else can... But, enlightenness, please call in. We'd be glad to be enlightened. I'm not trying to misrepresent it, but God doesn't tell me to wear a particular kind of clothing. He doesn't tell me to wear any kind of it's another charms or, from the old law. It's an, right. It's just basically, he told him wore he things, put things. these things on your clothing, on your fringes of your garments, and all that. But he didn't mean. I don't. He he meant he meant for them to really keep them in their mind. He meant for them to perform. Right. Now, humans are sometimes can be, you know, you tie a string around your finger to remember something. And then you remember, well, I don't know what I remember, what I put the string on there for. But the point is, OK, if you want to wear something that reminds you of Christ, I suppose that's OK. But I can't go to the New Testament and give you any direction from Christ or his apostles to do that about that kind of thing, wearing a certain thing during a worship service or not on your back or your front or in any way or what what to write on it, what for it to say. I can go back to the old law of Moses and find some things like that that the priests had to wear. Their their, their chest plate said holiness unto the Lord and on their head also and, and the and the Jews taking almost in a too literal way what he said in Deuteronomy six, wrote these scriptures on the little leather pouches and tied them on their foreheads and on their wrists and so forth. We can find nothing like that in the New Testament. It's it's a it's a comes from the has to come from the heart. So you write the words on the heart, and you show your repentance from the heart outward to the hands by what you do, your contrition. So that would be my general concept or general answer to that question, Jerry. That um, I'm not positive about what the Lutheran and maybe a Lutheran can call call up and correct what we're saying. I'm I'm only being critical while I am being critical, because Gary, not in a negative, not in a nasty way, I don't think. I'm critical in that critical thinking. <laughs> I call it. 
critical thinking involves analyzing something as to its veracity and its significance. And when, when you say compare, critical thinking, think of important thinking. Yeah. Think of logical, you know, rational. Logical it isn't thinking. about being being critical, but being critical. The word in Greek for critic uh, for criticize or for ju- is judgment, making a judgment about something. And so that's the word we get the word critical from, kathesis, and that's the word. So yes, it's thinking, not just parroting what somebody else says. Not just saying something because your parents said it or you heard it on the news. Not just repeating the mantra, even repeating what a preacher says. What does the scripture say? Think critically about what you're being told. We ask you to do that on this show. We ask you to take the things that we say, and even, you'll hear me say at the beginning of the show, it's not an accident, we're going to give you some scriptures on this particular subject, for example, for you to think about and and uh, to analyze for yourself. We're asking you to do this kind of critical thinking when you come across something in religion or in your life and say, so what does the Bible say about that? And then weigh that into your, your judgments about what it is. So what we're saying here about this is, may all be well-meaning, but I can find no direction from the apostles that tell you to wear anything on your between your shoulder blades or on the front of your body or anything else that... Um, and, and that that is somehow service to Christ when you do that. Um, in any event, that's that's my thoughts on that. I don't suppose we covered it very well, but Jerry, that's the best I can do with it right now. If you want well, to call and, back and give us some more direction on that or, or explore it further, please do. Well, let me okay. put, put a thought in here, Mike. The, the only value that things like that have is if – where they influence what we actually do relative to the commandments of Jesus. There's no value in those things just in the wearing of them or even writing them down to put the wearing on. Just like the Old Testament scribes and Pharisees, the value was not in the wearing of them. The value was in how it influenced what I do towards keeping Jesus' commandments. Right. He says in Romans 2, in verse six, or verse 5, the, uh, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, I'm going to start in the middle, talking about the judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Basically, he's saying God's going to judge you on what you do. Right. He's not going to judge you on what you wear. Not in the New Testament. You see, this is, um, yes, and it is goes back, the, for example, the, the scapular is really a, that's like I thought it was, a Roman Catholic thing originally. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of what are called holy vestments, vestments being clothing, specialized clothing that this priesthood was to wear that they imitated or copied from from. Judaism from the Old Testament. It's pretty clear, and we believe that the Old Testament priests wore particular specialized clothing when they served in the temple, in the tabernacle. We believe, Gary and I believe God commanded that particular kind, color, style, with certain kind of writing of clothing. That was to be worn by the priests. So there's no question about that. The question is, what does the New Testament say is the fulfillment because all those Old Testament laws and regulations were physical regulations meant to be fulfilled in spiritual things in the new. It was a covenant. The new is a covenant, not according to the covenant that he made with Moses, according to Hebrews chapter eight, verse thirty-one. And so it was a spiritual covenant. So yes, we they had priests which wore special clothing to symbolize holiness to the Lord. We as Christians. We are priests, all of us who come into Christ. We are priests, the scriptures say. He's made us to be a holy priesthood, Peter says, 1 Peter 2. 
And we wear special clothing. The clothing that we wear is the righteousness of Christ and the things that we do in service to God. That's our holiness that we wear. Okay, And our clothing even tells the women that in, in 1 Timothy uh, 3 that their clothing is or two, that their clothing is to befit women professing godliness. Even their out, their outward clothing is not specified what it is, but it is to reflect what's in the heart. So there are no special clothes that a particular order of people in the Christian church ought to wear, that order being called priests, and there are no special priestly clothes. We don't this church does not have priests in the sense that you think. We are if if you're a member of the Lord's church, you are a priest and you offer up sacrifices to Christ directly through his son or through to God through his son Christ that's the function of a priest and the old testament the, the worshipers brought their their offerings to the priest who then offered them to God in the new testament the christians are the priests who bring their offerings to God of their own heart and so there's but there's no special clothing i i just can't think i can't I'm thinking through all the New Testament, and I would not challenge, but I would ask any of our listeners to find in the New Testament any kind of reference to a special kind of clothing that a particular order of people is to wear. Now, I'm sure this same kind of garment, I say I'm sure, I believe it's probably worn by the Lutheran clergy. Now, we probably ought to have a show and talk about clergy and laity. We've probably already done that. The word clergy, it comes from the Greek word kleros. It's used in the New Testament to say that Christians are God's heritage. It means heritage or a lot or assignment. A kleros is a lot or a in, um, a special lot, something set apart for someone. So Christians are God's clergy. All of us are. Laity just means people. And guess what? All Christians are the people of God. We see this over and over in the New Testament. So Christians well, here, here it is are the, clergy and laity together. There's no specialized class. And what are you clothed with? First Peter 5. Right. First Peter 5, 5. Likewise, your younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one to another and be clothed with humility. Right. Among, and he even talks about the fact in that we put on the new man Yes. in the New Testament. We have another phone call, Gary, so let's go there. Okay. Are you there, Laura? Yes. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Mike. Happy New Year. Well, thank you. You. Um, you. You just hit the verse I was thinking on, and also in Ephesians, he gave us the armor of God to put on. Yeah, armor in Ephesians chapter six, an armor to put on. But he didn't give he didn't give that to a group of people called priests or bishops or cardinals. No, he gave it to all of us. Yes, yes. And, and that's a that's a this is a major error in in um, Christian denominations and religions. This idea of a separate clergy uh, apart from the laity that wear special clothes and, and special collars, and have special and, privileges, and are to be especially honored and so forth, kissing rings and kneeling and all that kind of stuff. The Bible speaks nothing of that, and we at this church are not going to practice that for that reason, not because we're so great and high and mighty, but just it's a matter of simply trying to look at what the New Testament says. And it's not that we're ignoring the Old Testament. We're trying to apply those prophet passages about the types and symbols to the new. Well, Laura, what else did you want to say about that? I, I probably cut you off there. Uh, no, no, that was good. That was good. But kind of wanted Jerry to understand that it's not so much a tradition of men. And if we have any keepsakes, be them religious relics or lockets or anything, it's a matter of the heart what we wear underneath our daily clothes or anything that keeps us in remembrance of anything. It's a personal inflection as long as it doesn't rule above the lordship of God. I think well, it's a personal matter. Uh, it, well, okay, Laura, I would agree that it should be that. But the fact is, in the Catholic Church, 
the traditions are considered by their own catechisms and creeds to be equal with the Bible. That is, that's exactly what the Catholic Church teaches about traditions. Now then, if you want to do something for your own self individually that you think you would, that makes you more devoted, that's okay too. That's fine as long as it's kept within the limits of, of what the scriptures say you should honor things by. So for you to take an image and bow down to it, even if it's only for your own personal benefit, the Bible is against me bowing down to images. For I'm just using that for an example. My grandmother, who was a Roman Catholic, had a little cross that she had been given by the church that she would take out every day and hold and rub this cross and say certain prayers, and that was supposed to get her out of purgatory early when she did those things. And, in fact, that is simply not true. That's an error, and I didn't want her practicing that. Well, of course she did, but... That's the that's the danger of these traditions and having little objects and images. We have to be very careful about these objects and images that we have. Keep them personal, but also even within ourselves, keep them in the proper in their proper place, or else they will lead you astray. Also, the prayers to Mary. Yes, something other than God. This is this is replacing God with something or someone different. But I'm going to tell you, because I've, I've got him in my possession, I'll have him with me this morning, uh, quite a few Catholic catechisms that teach children, and they, they're very clear about how you should honor saints, relics, and images. And they're very clear when you, they ask the question, for example, are the scriptures alone sufficient, uh, a sufficient guide in faith and knowledge? And the answer in bold letters is no, the scriptures alone are not sufficient. It takes both the scriptures and tradition to know what God wants us to do. It's very clear. So I'm not putting words in the mouth of the Catholic Church. They, they openly are stating this. Now, now they, they think that's fine. I just don't think the Bible teaches that. So that's kind of what we're warning about by keeping traditions. Uh, you can have, we have traditions in my family about different things that we do, but I, I'm not going to pretend, nor would I let my children pretend that those came from God. Uh, well, I, I would because point, that would be wrong. I would be. I just point out that that's just in total opposite of what the scripture says in Second Timothy three seven sixteen and seventeen. I need to all, bring in those reference books. Yeah, just all, read them here on the air. He says that. in in Second Timothy three uh, sixteen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. By scripture. By scripture. Not by scripture and tradition. Right. And the tradition is just the handing that was handed down from the church fathers and so forth on up to the modern times. All right, Laura, um, you want to add anything to that? Contradict that? What, what's, what do you think? No. You know, I think what you said was accurate. It's just nothing should go above God. And... You know, and he's just it alone, and the only thing that saves us is the blood of Jesus. Right. Christ's work saves us. You know, the, this is the thing about human nature, though. It's human nature. Oh, oh. Indiv- I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were still talking. What was that? No, no. Yeah, no, I was driving, and somebody just cut in front oh, of me. Oh, okay. Ooh, be careful there. Be working on the track. Uh, okay. When human, when human beings get an idea... Unfortunately, we tend to think we tend to elevate our own thoughts and ideas above other people's, including God's. And so when we begin to focus on our traditions, eventually Jesus says this very clearly. Full well, do you reject Mark seven? Full well, do you reject the commandment of God to keep your traditions? And he gets three different ways. He says this there in Mark chapter seven about the Pharisees. They they had their traditions. They thought they were trying to keep God's word and make it explicit or keep people from going astray, but they had ad- they eventually they added to God's word by what they were saying. This is the thing we have to guard. And this is what this is a fundamental part of being just a Christian. It's a fundamental thing that we, for example, at this church take seriously is this idea of of not elevating human now we we all have to live by our ideas and we're going to have to interpret those scriptures and come up with practical ways to fulfill them. But we can't elevate our way of doing something or our idea 
to the level of God's commands. It is a lifelong process to reject that and teach our children to reject it. Well, one, one of the things that I've, I've come across, Mike, is people like to say that our salvation is in our relationship to Christ, and it, it is. He says, in Christ, we are saved. Basically, it's our relationship to him. But what does our relationship to Christ depend upon? What does it depend upon? It, John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Right. Basically, our relationship to Jesus, our relationship to him, depends on our love for him and our keeping of his commandments and his word. Right. I can very much appreciate, uh, in the human sense, the devotion of someone even like my grandmother who was devoted to her to her religion. She really loved the Lord, and, and it, but it was expressed in ways that I don't think were, were scriptural ways to express it. I can't approve of, even though she is, obviously I did love her, of the things that she did, but she was expressing sincerity and devotion for that. I, and that, and I'm appreciative, but we can't let that get in the way. Sentimentality about that get in the way of teaching what is true and right and practicing that ourselves. You know, Paul says in Colossians chapter two, I want to go there and we can, we can go back and read that passage in Mark. I referred to if you want to Gary, but Paul tells him in Colossians two, it's a complex passage, but I think, uh, it's understandable. Paul says, therefore, if you died with Christ, I don't know if I gave you the verse, Colossians 2.20 beginning. Okay. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations or ordinances? The word there is dogmatizo. It's a dogma, as it were. And he gives some examples. He, he, well, so let's start. If you say that you died with Christ and you're going to be free from worldly things. Why are you still living by worldly things? Why do you subject yourself to these things? And he gives some examples that they've come up with. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, what he's saying there is this commands of do not touch, do not taste, do not handle are not coming from the scriptures. They're coming from your own idea of what you should be doing. So, the idea that eating meat is wrong or eating meat on Friday is wrong or, you know, this kind of don't touch this or don't touch that. He's saying these commands that they have here that they've made for themselves are after the traditions and customs of men. And he says, why are you subjecting yourself to those things? These things, he said, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion in false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Human traditions like carrying a cross in your pocket, wearing something on you, a cross or a symbol, getting tattooed with a cross or a symbol of some, some Bible verse, or, or uh, um, walk, even among the Hindus, walking on nails, walking on hot coals. These things have an appearance of wisdom, though they look so wise demanding that certain that people bow and kneel at a certain uh, time of day, genuflect and do all those things. False humility. When you enforce those things on yourself as if they're the commandments of God, they have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. It is something that you've imposed on yourself, not what God's imposed, but what you've imposed on yourself. False humility. It looks humble, but is it? Well, it may or may not be. It may be lifting you up. These it may be pride in that you're pride. doing what you want to do. You're better than other people. That's what the Pharisees came to. And neglect of the body. Some people are there that the, the harder you are on your body, the more restrictive you are on eating or in sexual matters or anything like that, the better you are. There are wives out there that say, I've just stopped having sex with my, my husband because he's He's not spiritual, and it's more spiritual to have not have sex, and so we won't have sex because I want my husband to be more spiritual. There isn't anything in the New Testament that leads you to that conclusion. Absolutely but, not. But, be, but, be, but, but that neglect of the body is a, considered to be a, it's a human thing imposed on from the outside that looks spiritual. These are the things, he says, that you have to understand. These are of no value 
against the indulgence of the flesh. They will not make you more spiritual in truth. They look like it, but they won't. They will not save you. They will not actually help you fight your fleshly desires. See, the fleshly desire is a desire you have your own way. So some people flip, Gary, in religion. They flip from doing whatever they want of a worldly nature to doing whatever they want of a religious nature. They just exchanged those two things. So they exchanged one set of desires and restrictions for, for the another. other, which are still man-made. Are they really submitting to God's will? No, they're not. So they're still involved in the flesh. Now, that's the... This is a difficult. This passage has application beyond uh, what we would call normally religious things, all the way to these self, these self-imposed regimes of diet and exercise, and and uh, mistreatment of the body and neglect that people impose on themselves today in the name of health, in the name of self-discipline that they impose on themselves uh, with. Uh, beating their body to death, riding a bike or running or swimming or lifting weights or not eating this, not eating that, not doing this, not doing that. They, they get a religious sense, a feeling of religion from that and that they are doing something worthwhile. Maybe they are, but it has its limits. And Paul says, don't confuse that with true spirituality. And that's what's being done. And that's the value. Or, excuse me, the value. That's that's the it is a value within the religion of these human man-made traditions. You feel and it makes you seem more religious to carry a cross with you or whatever the case may be or to get a tattoo. And so you do that and you think now you're more holy. Are you? Look, it's what you said in the beginning. You're, you're only only by doing what God says. Yes. Are you actually glorifying God? You want to glorify God? Then do what, do he, what he says and emphasize in your own life and with others what God says, not what you've made up about what God says, not what you have imposed about what God says. Glorify God by doing what he says. Well, and he has abandoned all of that stuff in the old law right? and, and, and even mentioned some more of these kind of things and brought us something new, a different kind of thing in the new law. Anyway. I'm, I'm waxing out. In, in Colossians here. 2, these things that says make you feel like you're in Christ. And more holy. And are holy, but you're not. Not that, No, they don't have any value against what, what you. And here he's giving these people credit, in a sense, for wanting to fight the flesh. But they're ineffective in what they're doing. It's not working. It's not going. In fact, it's counterproductive. This stuff makes you feel holy, makes you feel better than others, and can often lead you to more pride than if you hadn't even done it at all. That's the problem with it. That's the problem with human. And he would throw human traditions go into this same category uh, that people have imposed. When when Jesus, uh, this is another passage I can wax elephants about here in Mark 7. Um, What's the verse? Beginning the first verse. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read it all, but we can read some of it, I guess. The Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Christ, to him, say, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of, his, some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when he says all the Jews here, he's not talking about every single person in Palestine who was who is circumcised. He's talking about a special class of people called the Jews. These are the elite people. These are the very religious people. They may be Pharisees. They may be Sadducees. They may be scribes. They may be others. That's they were Jews often are. in the ruling class. They're in the ruling class. And so he says they don't eat unless they wash their hands in a particular way, holding the tradition of the other. So they had to wash their hands literally with from the fist up or with the fist, it says in Greek here. So they, they wash their hands like a surgeon and let the dirty water drip off their elbows and hold their hands up until they dry. And they do this before they eat. Now then... And they do it with cups, pitchers, copper yes, vessels. Edersheim says that the more religious Jews did it between every course of the meal, and the really religious Jews did it between every bite they did this. So see, once you establish a human tradition, a custom, you can... You can make yourself more religious than everybody around you by being really strict about it. You see what I'm saying? This is the 
this is the nature of this. What did Jesus say in verse 6 and 7 was the result of all of this? Well, they, they, yeah, they, like you say, they washed all the, the, the other thing. That's what I'm getting at. Um, so they, here's the point. Before we go any further, Gary, and read those verses, what did Moses' law say about washing your hands before you eat? Not one mm-hmm. word. They deduce this from everything we can figure out from a general command of be clean, and he made the priests, you know, uh, wash before they served in the temple, that kind of thing. And they had a labor before the temple for the priest to wash before that went in to the, offer the sacrifice. But they deduced this, then brought it into everyday life, and then enforced it as command. So they are in, they're not enforcing anything that God said for the Jews to do before they eat a meal, uh, except to receive it with thanksgiving, which the Old Testament says. But they did. They brought this tradition. Oh, well, what's wrong with it? Well, there's nothing wrong with it per se. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Not wrong to wash before you eat, either for cleanliness, but to wash before you eat, to make yourself religiously clean, is a tradition of the elders. My mother had a tradition. We had to wash our hands before we eat. But that wasn't, she didn't keep it as a religious tradition. That's what these people are doing, with no command from God. And so, you want to read verse like six, seven, and eight there, Gary? Uh, let me. I, I dropped it just. Here, I'll, I'll get it. I got it right here. He answered and said to them, "Well, did I?" They asked him, "Well, why did your disciples? Why don't they do this? How hard would it have been for Jesus to teach his disciples to go ahead and do this? It would have been very easy for him to say this, but he didn't say it. Now they were common people. They weren't of this ruling class of Jews, and that's how I know." That that word Jews there, one way, that did not mean every single circumcised Israelite. It meant a special class of Jews. Because Jesus and these Galileans who were following him were, were circumcised Israelites, but they weren't doing this. They had not been taught this tradition of the elders or weren't keeping it. And he could have taught them this if he wanted to. And that's what they were asking. Why don't you teach them this? And he's not going. Jesus was not going to do it because it was false religion. He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So you say good things about God, but your heart of actually following me is not with me. For in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When religious people today teach their own doctrines, the commandments of men, as if they are gods, they are teaching you to worship in vain. The sinner's prayer. Yes, the things that God never said anything about. They're teaching right. you empty things that God never, that seem religious, but God never said anything about them. You need to do what God's. Then he says, for the let for here, here's where he gets this finds. Here's what he says happens in the human nature of things. Verse eight, Mark seven, verse eight. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold fast the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers of cups and many other things. So what do you do? You lay aside God's commandment, and you keep your tradition. That's why I said people would much rather keep their own ideas than God's ideas. If they think it's a good idea and they came up with it, they lay aside God's word and they keep their own word. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. So not only do you lay aside God's commandment, you actually reject God's commandment. He gives an example of them honoring their father and mother. Uh, and if, but you say, if a man says to his father, mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. So it, we, we could do a whole lesson on that. So, but he says, essentially, when you keep these traditions, you end up rejecting. I'll give you an example of this. People are real serious about keeping Christmas and Easter as the birthday and the resurrection day of Christ, of which the Bible says nothing. And they have all the traditions we've talked about about how to keep those days and and the 12 days of Christmas and Advent calendars and all the stuff that they do. And yet the Lord says about the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me on the first day of the week. Do they do that? They reject that. They reject the very thing that Christ said for every Christian to do and that they're adamant about keeping the things that they've made up. Am I too strong on that, Gary? Well, basically, it revolves around it revolves around their hypocrisy. In Matthew twenty three, twenty three, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, <laughs> hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You should keep the law. Whatever the law said to do, big or small, you should have done yeah, it. You should have done but it. But you shouldn't be forgetting with your tradition, forgetting the real important things of the law. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. And then he says in verse 13 about them that making the word of God of no effect through the tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. That's the real thing. So the third danger. one is they make, it, they make God's word of no, no effect. effect. They make it really not, not important, not serious. So you can read, you go through these modern denominations and religions. They've been here a long time. It's the modern ones you see today. And they've got all these traditions and customs like robes and priests and incense. And they've got all their other customs, even a sinner's prayer you mentioned and all the other stuff. And all those things make void the word of God and make none effect the actual Bible that they have neglected to read and try to understand in a straightforward We teach reading the Bible in a plain and straightforward way, not in some convoluted way, or reading it through the eyes of philosophy, or we don't believe in reading the Bible through the eyes of tradition. You find your tradition, then you go to the Bible and find something that looks like that. We don't believe in, we believe in taking the Bible first and eliminating the tradition. So anyway, that's the, well, he said, that's where I would go in a strong way. Now, now, I'm not accusing any of the callers of believing any of this stuff. I'm, I'm only saying this is what my mind goes to when I hear people talk about, well, here's something the Bible doesn't refer to. And I just want to warn our listeners about getting caught up in those human traditions. Examine what the scriptures say and don't say and follow that. We're just warning about what's being taught other places, not who's following it or. Yeah, you, it. you don't. It doesn't make you a hypocrite because you do these things per se. The people in the Bible, many of them were because they were phonies and they were just getting ready to kill Christ in their religiosity. They were fixing to kill him against even their own law, uh, and they were phonies. But a lot of people have been taught these things from the time they're children. And they're well-meaning, but I'm. We would like to. Uh, well, I'm, warn you about I'm, I'm going to say Jesus was very Jesus was very straightforward about pointing these things out. He didn't um, shrink from pointing to that. In verse 27 of Matthew 23, he says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly." but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Right. And, and, and he said that directly to them. He didn't pull any punches So that this. goes back to mimicking Jesus. So are we uh, doing good or evil by pointing out these and traditions we've got, and so forth? Well, if we're going no, to imitate Jesus, we're we supposed to point, point out these things this, out. We yes. ought to point out the traditions of men are not valid for God, not valid to glorify God. And, and that's the point I was making. Uh, that's the point that our the texture Johnson in early in the show, that to be in Christ is to mimic him. Well, mimicking Christ involves condemning these human traditions being kept as if they're God's we, word. We cannot be in Christ and not follow his commands. Right, by looking at what he says, yes, not what some other religious teacher says or what uh, we say about how it should be or what some pope or some uh, Lutheran rector or whatever, the, I don't know what the names are called. Says for, for First John, he who abides in him ought to himself also walk just as he walked. That's exactly what he says in First John 2, 6. Right. Um, there is a, uh, we, we have to think of People, we have to keep things in their proper priority or sequence or importance. Um, and I don't see, I can't, this verse is, I'm not really seeing the verse in front of me here. Uh, let me go back and look again. Um, I think it's in, um, well, it, it, it's in Second Corinthians, I think, but I'm having trouble finding it. Uh, yes, it's in First Corinthians 4. Paul, I'm talking about him and Apollos and the way that the Corinthians were viewing the apostles and other people, other teachers. He says in verse 6, And these things, brethren, I have transferred in a figure to myself and to Apollos for your sake, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, 
that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Now, this is this is important. One of the problems of, of denominational religion and, and Roman Catholicism is that it teach they teach in various ways that we should think more highly of certain men than what is written about them, meaning that they've put on these special titles of pope or bishop or cardinal or whatever his right, most right reverend so-and-so. And they're asking you, uh, you listeners, they're asking us to think of them in more highly than the scriptures teach about them. The scriptures don't grant any of those men infallibility or the right to speak for God. They only grant them the right to teach what God has already written. That was true of Paul and Apollos. Some of these other false teachers were teaching different than that, and Paul warned the Corinthians in their immaturity not to think above these teachers more highly than that which was written, which was written that they were only to, re to repeat and expound and teach what God said. So I can, I can speak with authority when I'm quoting the scriptures to you and teaching you very directly about what God says. But we will not and do not ask you to think of us, Gary and I do not, above that which is written about us, and that is that we are mere men. We have, we have, we have a, uh, an office of being elders in the church here. But that still doesn't give us the right to make up stuff, make up laws and regulations for people, nor do we attempt to do that in this church. We would be wrong if we did. It doesn't get and that certainly does not give other religious leaders on the radio, TV or in the churches you go to the right to give a commandment of who you can date, who you cannot date, who you can do this and you can do that. All the regulation about what you got to do in worship, specifically that the Bible doesn't give you. It doesn't give them any right to do those things. And they should not ask you to think of them more highly than the scriptures think of them, which is that they are mere men who are teachers of God's word. We're there to be respected, certainly, but that doesn't mean blind obedience in this case. So anyway, um, don't think of people more highly than the scriptures. Now, an apostle, when a man sh had, back then showed, showed the signs of an apostle, then they were to take his word as being God's word. So Paul had the right to command because he was an apostle. Anyway, Gary, you want to add any more to that? Well, I'm I'm just I keep going back and thinking about what it means to be in Jesus and to keep His commandments and what it says. Are we about out of time? Well, we got about three minutes where we can talk, and we got to wrap it up. Well, I, I keep coming back to that. Our relationship with Jesus, to be in Him, depends on keeping His word and keeping His commands. It's not the simple matter of pray and ask forgiveness and do nothing, and now I'm in Jesus. That sinner's prayer is, and those people who purport to say, tell you, pray this prayer and you're saved, are the very people we're talking about. Yeah, that, or, that, or even the way people do it today, they just um, sit down with their coffee in the morning and breakfast, oh God, what do you want me to do today, what should I do? And whatever comes in their mind, they take that as being God's will for yeah, them to do. Right. And they have they they're not really trying to find out what the Bible says about it and looking at it from that they it's just because one of them know. wrote me say the center prayer say this prayer they wrote me an email to that and you'll be saved and I came back with where is that in the Bible and they finally had to come back and say well that's not in the Bible. Yes, it's not in the Bible. It's and not as there. such. It's not especially the way it's being used. Uh, are we sinners? Yes. Should we pray? Yes. But will prayer save you? The answer is no. No. Okay takes more than that and we can go look at some other examples of that we don't have time i guess this morning to do that but we really appreciate jerry's call and and the john's text and laura's call whether we agree or disagree we use these things as springboards to to, to reveal to what's in the bible and, and we we'll want you to do the same thing so we've given you several passages to look up this morning um, to take a look at what's actually there and we really appreciate their participation in the show invite you to do the same thing if you'd like to email us you can reach we are just christians at just christians at att.net that's one way to read a little longer message we we got a text during the show i'll have to look at it more carefully it's a question about what we said about the birth of jesus a couple of weeks ago Gary. we, we need to be sure we answer I'll, that. I'll get it to you we can answer it i want i can't answer it now because it, it's more detailed that we can get into but i wanted to double check make sure i'm got my facts straight about that before we go on. But, but we really appreciate text 
6120-772-260-6220. Text us anytime and, and we'll we'll take a look at it. And we really appreciate that. Or you can you can get recordings of these shows on at wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. So with that, I'm going to point you to that. To, that's our website. Point you to that. That's the website also for the church here. Wearejustchristians.com. And you can find lots of Bible study resources. I'm trying to make some improvements on that. I've been in touch with our web guy this week, and maybe we can make some improvements there. But take a look at wearejustchristians.com. You'll find this radio show recordings, sermons from the church, other resources, and we'd invite you to take a look. And take a look at, come and visit us, I should say, at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard at 10 a.m. today. 11 a.m. and 7.30 on Wednesday nights. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it, and may God bless you until next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.